we mostly hear from real estate investors and agents on this podcast, but our guest today, not only was he an agent, but he also has a very strong background in property management, and he's a general contractor with experience in both Washington and Idaho. Welcome back to Crushing It in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Joanne Tan, and I'm super excited to welcome Tim Wagner to the show. Hi, Tim. Hello, Tim. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited for you to be here. Do you want to let our listeners know really how you got started in this in this real estate world? Absolutely. That's just, it's kind of a long story, but I'll try to try to summarize it up as quickly as I can. So I started in construction. I'd say that's probably the very roots of my path in real estate. I started construction at a very young age, working alongside my dad and my grandpa. I'm actually a fourth generation contractor, so I have a lot of family roots tying me to real estate and construction. I grew up with my dad, my gramps, you know, just them teaching me the trade, you know, all the ins and outs, you know, what to do and what not to do. And then as I grew older, I'd say probably 10 to 12, that was when my dad started doing property management. So then I kind of, you know, went in that direction with him, you know, kind of saw him go through the field and how everything works and all that. And then when I graduated, I started working for him as a property manager, you know, went through the hoops, got my property management license, and I was managing about 40 to 50 of his rentals because uh, he was also a real estate investor at the same time. And then after that, I went and I did a couple little things, you know, because when you're 18, I feel like, you know, every kid, when they graduate, they kind of have this stint in their life where they're like, okay. I know this, but is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? So they have to go out and explore their options. And so is there I went more and I was, out there? Right, exactly. So I was a, a construction salesman for, uh, believe it or not, a pole barn company out in Portland, Oregon. And six months after that, I went and did commercial fishing in Alaska. Wow. And that, right, just a totally different thing. Just like as far from like construction as I could, it was just like, I just went up and did it with a buddy and it was, you know, it was kind of one of those really like grounding experiences. And I came back from, from that, from the fishing and I was like, okay, you know, I know, I know what I want to do. And it's, it's real estate. That's, that's what I know. That's what I love. That's where I belong. I can love being able to just, you know, see your work, see like a, a material investment to me is everything. Like you can see like, like everything goes away in time, but there's dirt is always going to be there. Like that's, that's the number one thing right there. And so for me, I just, I knew I needed to stick with that. So I moved up to Idaho. I ended up getting my real estate license after working with uh, a brilliant uh, real estate agent here in Spokane, Washington called Melissa Murphy owning, who owns a prime real estate group. And she, uh, you know, I got my real estate license working for her. I was actually started as an inside sales agent for her property, uh, for her real estate company. And then I got my real estate license, started doing flips with her husband, Justin Jensen. So that was kind of my introduction to the flipping side of the, of the world. Fell in love with that. That's by far my favorite part of real estate is doing flips. And worked with him for about two years. And then I you know, found my own wings, took flight. And now I am a general contractor doing I wouldn't say predominantly flips for investors, but that's, that's kind of my, it's my target when I do quite a bit of them. 
I do also a lot of remodels, work with a lot of real estate agents to help their customers, you know, moving through the process of buying a new home and, you know, making sure, you know, we'll do a lot of kitchen, bath and remodels for them. And then we are, my partner and I are closing on our first flip, my, my actual first acquisition of a flip at the end of this month. So for wow. me, that's, that, that's, for me, that is the biggest step I'll have ever taken in the real estate field is purchasing my own first flip. So I am super excited. That's so exciting and early congratulations to you Thank on you. that. Yeah, when you were talking about, you know, work, seeing your work and the materialness of it and how dirt is always going to be there, like I felt that, like that, if that is your true calling, because like I definitely, you seem very passionate about that. I think your background is so interesting because you've done so many different things, but you've been able to experience it and then find your favorite part, right? Which like you yes. said, now it's flips. Right. Yeah. You kind of have to, I mean, the real estate world, it, it's such, such a vast field of work. I mean, you can, everything from, you know, property management to, I mean, there's even stuff like, I'm over here sitting in the truck and I'm looking across and there's, you know, a guy from Pool World. He's working on someone's house. Technically, you know, he's, that's real estate field still. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's such a vast field. There's just so much you can do in it as you have to really have to work to find your, your niche, your target niche, I feel. Yeah. How was that, you know, in property management, looking after 40 to 50 rentals for, for your dad, um, you know, at such a young age, what was that experience like? That was it was very, very inundating, honestly, because I graduated, you know, I was, I, I grew up in a very, I wouldn't say sheltered, but very like quiet, reserved family. We, yeah, we had our group of friends and everything, but we're all very focused on work. And my parents are all like very traditional values, which I, I really love growing up with like that. But then I moved out and I started working on my own. Even when I was working for my dad and it's just, meet the world and I was just like the honest little 18 year old kid talking with these people you know two three times my age trying to convince them that yes I can take care of this I can manage your home like I have the capability and just going through that and trying to just find not only uh, their trust but my confidence that was a really big undertaking and really a quite the struggle and I found that the only, there's always, you know, this other business people that you find. And I, I was lucky enough to meet these people in a uh, networking group. And they just took me under their wing and, you know, just showed me like, you know, it's, this is what people are actually like. Like they want to see you succeed and help you. And so seeing that really helped, you know, me find my confidence. And then I started, you know, doing way better and talking, you know, because it's, I feel like people are more so, more so care about, how you not really how old you are but you know if you portray yourself knowing you know being an expert in your field and knowing you know being confident then that that makes a big difference as opposed to your age i mean i'm 23 and i still can't shave so i look i don't you know to a lot of people i don't look a day over 17 so <laughs> like i still get people asking you know when i graduate what college are you going to like oh no <laughs> that was six years ago <laughs> But, you know, it was, you know, doing the property management that really taught me also how to, you know, I'm still not the greatest at it, but multitask mm -hmm. because there's so many different people you have to deal with at any given day. 
I mean, like, you know, my phone just rang off the hook constantly. And I feel like for me, that was a big deal. My dad over here managing, you know, 300 plus rentals. Wow. I'm like, oh, you managing like seven <laughs> times. You're dealing with seven times as many people as I am. How are you doing this? But <laughs> for me, like, that was a very enjoyable part of my, my, you know, young career, I would say. But I quickly found out that that wasn't really the path I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, props to you for taking that challenge on. And it's interesting because it's like they doubted you because you looked young. But really, you know, you come, you're a fourth generation contractor. You've been doing this with your dad and right. your grandpa since you were a little kid. So it's like, yes, you can take care of the property. Right. But it wasn't really until you said you networked and found people who kind of showed you the way, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, like how to excuse me, how to portray myself in, you know, a professional manner, you know, I had to, you know, dress, like, you had to dress a little bit higher, I think, than most people, because, like, when people are in their 40s and 50s, you know, you already have that, that confidence and that automatic respect, I would say, for your age, and so I had, you know, you have to dress a little bit, you know, higher than there, act a little more professional, just so you, not maybe not on the same level, but on a similar level, so you, you know, get trust that way, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it was fun. And it still yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> but through that path, you found what you wanted to do. And yes, exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned, so networking, do you go to a lot of networking events or? I do. So before COVID, I feel like I say that a lot now <laughs> before, before COVID happened, I, Yes, I did quite a bit, especially with the uh, Chamber of Commerce. That was a really big part of my networking. And, you know, meeting other, just meeting realtors, doing a lot of one-on-ones. That was a really big part of my networking. That still is. I can still do network, you know, networking one-on-ones. Just big groups is really hard to facilitate with COVID and everything and all the shutdowns and, you know, maximum of six people in this area at one place you know there's, there's just too Six much feet apart right yeah it's hard to have a you know a nice uh, conversation with someone where you have to maintain six feet of distance but yeah we just they did a lot of that and now with covid i do a lot more you know one-on-one meetings because you can still do those uh, at least mm-hmm. here and also social networking like on social media has just gone through the roof for me uh, i i rely on that honestly quite a bit more than i used to this with all of this, you know, you can, you can still, you know, reach people and touch people by social media. Whereas, you know, in, in, you know, in before COVID, I would try to do as much in people networking as I can, but since I can't do that nearly as much anymore, I still try to reach as many people as I used to. So Facebook, Instagram, that's, that's my big, my, my two go-tos to still make that happen. Yeah, it's good that you've been able to kind of pivot during these times with your business. And I definitely want to go into your Instagram because you're killing it. But I've never heard anybody mention about networking with the Chamber of Commerce. What was that like? So the Chamber of Commerce, I've I've been in a few, but the Spokane Chamber of Commerce is actually very much different than any of the other ones I've been in. Simply because how I'm in the Spokane Valley Chamber of Commerce, not the Spokane Greater, but they have all of these networking groups inside the chamber. So they'll have like 15 people just, you know, in 
you know, meet at a coffee shop, you know, once a week, seven o'clock AM or, you know, and then, then there's another one that meets, you know, at a title company, you know, at noon, at, you know, on Thursdays. And so it's just kind of, they have their little networking groups and you go through, have you ever heard of BNI by chance? Mm-mm. Okay. It's another similar networking group with a very rigid structure okay. and it almost feels like they tailored it to BNI. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's really cool. Like you just spend that time. You don't really get to know people on an intimate level like you would on a one-to-one, but it's a really good introduction to get to that point. And then it's also like you just learn a little bit about, you know, these people every, every single week, you learn a little bit more about them and you just rely on each other as like this really nice, solid, like almost like little band or group that you can go to for referrals because you know and trust them. So yeah. I really liked that. That's awesome and a great contact i think a great um, piece of advice for anybody looking to to network it sounds like the chamber of commerce has set up these little like networking pods already so right if you don't know yes. where to go check out your local chamber of commerce but obviously absolutely stay safe I would, <laughs> right yes especially right now it's, it's i would, would imagine most of them are still closed down yeah unfortunately yeah. but mine has been doing zoom meetings Oh, okay. So still check it out. Exactly. Exactly. Now getting back to your Instagram, like you have what, like 50,000 followers plus? I have 30, I have 32,000 right now. On the way there. Yes. I'm working my way there. So my Instagram has kind of been, that's been one of those things where I had a lot of mentors over there. I started growing it two years ago. I'll start at the I started growing it and two years. 30,000 plus. That's amazing. So two years. I started it too. Well, I had the, my Instagram at 200 followers two years ago. And I was like, you know what? This is, this is 21st century. Like social media, like it or not, social media is where you can reach the most people. And it's where, you know, most people are like, you know, I would have never have met you or had this opportunity if not for Instagram, right? For and sure, I, yeah. There's so many opportunities that would be missed and so many people that you couldn't have touched without social media. So I think it's a very valuable tool. And, oh, definitely. And there's a, a fellow named Bridger Rogers. He actually lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, but he used to live up here. And he had taken his Instagram from zero to 30,000. And so I was like, okay, like, this, is, this is definitely what I, what I need to do. I need to reach more people, make more contacts, you know, make a bigger influence. And so he, I, I talked to him and he, he mentored me for a while. And then I, you know, jumped ship, went to another mentor, kept just like learning from different people, using all different kinds of strategies to meet, re, you know, meet more people uh, through Instagram. You know, a great way to do it is simply to be active, it's like commenting and liking other people's content and just being an active engager on Instagram is huge. Yeah, like it or not, that's where business is happening nowadays on social right. media. Yes. And they like it's called social media, be social, right? Like in comments. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. Like be an active part of, of the, the group there. I mean, that's really all it is. Like you're in this own little group and you have to like communicate with each other and talk with your friends and everything and maintain that connection. Can you share with us some of these strategies that you've gotten from your social media mentors to help you grow in such a short amount of time? Absolutely. So there's a few, I'd say the most powerful way, most powerful way to 
get more followers, make, you know, create more interaction is simply to follow more people. Right. I mean, like someone has to take that first step. So you're like, you're scrolling through Instagram, you see someone that you really like, you're like, this person is awesome. Like they have all of these, uh, all these followers They're you know, they're doing, you know, making big steps in the field. I can connect with them on these many levels. Like this is awesome. You follow them, you know, you like some of their photos, you comment on something, you become an active, active follower of theirs. And that gives them reason to look at your page and maybe they'll find that same connection you felt with them. Another great way is through hashtags. The hashtags are one of those things where like everyone knows about them and most people try to use them, but very few people actually do it properly. So on, I, I, I need to regroup my hashtags, but, but uh, I'd say about two months ago, I was getting about 90% of my, my, say, insights or my reach through my posts were from people that were not following me. Wow, so that's you, amazing. Right? If you do use the hashtags properly, then they can be super powerful and very influential to get more followers. You can, uh, would you like me to run through them real quick or stay that for something else? Sure, yeah. Okay. So what I usually do is you can use up to 30 hashtags on Instagram. And I would normally use them as a comment, not part of the post to keep it uncluttered. You just kind of put it in the first comment right after you do the post. And I use the first five need to be like if you're a smaller Instagrammer, let's say under like a thousand or under 5,000 followers, I would do a more like smaller local uh, hashtag because in order to, for people to see your post, you need to be at the top of the hashtag. So in order to be at the top of the hashtag, you either need to be really big or you need to be using a small hashtag. So you have more, uh, more of a chance of getting up there. So like I would use, you know, this, my local town, you know, Coeur d'Alene real estate, Spokane real estate, you know, uh, just hashtag Spokane, hashtag North Idaho, you know, that kind of thing. Use your first five to 10 as the local ones, the really ones that you'd be able to impact more. And then after that, you can use, you know, the, the rest of the 20, use the big ones, you know, real estate, you know, uh, crushing it, you know, uh, real estate agents, you know, those kind of things. And that really helps get more reach. Do you choose the first five to be more local and more niche because it's weighted? Well, yes, because so Instagram, unless the algorithm has changed, which I don't think that part of it has, the first Instagram takes it and they, they kind of rank your hashtags from top to bottom. So the first one, if you do rank really well in that hashtag, then they're going to move along to the second one. If you rank really well in that one, they're just going to keep rolling down the line. So if you keep your first couple as like ones that you can get to the top fairly easily, then you have a better chance of doing way better on the next ones down. It's kind of that's huge. It is. It, it makes a big difference. You know, I I've had posts where I'll get thirty followers off of one post. So wow. it, it makes a it makes a big difference. Yeah, that's huge impact. Are you guys listening? You better be grabbing your pen and pen paper and taking notes here because Tim is dropping some Instagram gold right now. <laughs> Any other tips for listeners who I'm, are trying to find more engagement? Yeah, let me, uh, let me think here. So use your stories. That's the big thing that I feel like people don't use their advantage as, they, as much as they should. It's like you can think of your, I was trying to think of a good way to, to 
describe this. Think of your posts as almost like the covers, covers of a book, right? Like that's the thing that grabs your attention in the beginning. Like you pull up a book and it's like the cover in the first page. Like if it's attractive and it looks interesting, that's something you'll grab onto and you might pick at home. And then it's the stories, like the inside, the pages of the book. And I feel like people don't use those to their advantage as much as they could. Like use your stories every single day. Like people want to see, you know, what you're up to, what you do, like how you do it. Like if you're in real estate, if you're a real estate agent, I would say be out there, you know, giving people tips, showing, walking them through your life day to day. Like with me, I'm, you know, always out there, you know, showing them pictures and videos of, you know, what's going on, what project we're on right now, you know, what we're scheming, you know, little things we're doing. Even if I'm up in the mountains on a Sunday, I'll show them that too. Like they got to see you're still a normal person. Like that's, that's where you show them your intimate side of your life and like what you do on a day-to-day basis. Instead of, you know, that perfect Instagram reality, you know, where you have the filtered photos on your posts and everything with the catchy hashtags and captions. It's like you show them the like the raw, unfiltered, unedited, you know, footage of your life and the stories. And I feel like that's honestly the most powerful part of Instagram because it's how you make the most influence. Yeah, I like to think of stories as where you can let your personality really shine through to your exactly. audience. Yes, yes. Show you who you are on a more intimate level, like your actual personality versus yeah, your the posts are just it's it's more of a a step, you know, you're stepping away a little bit farther back. It's not as, not as personal. Definitely. It's amazing because you're, you know, still so young, but you've already done so much in the real estate world. I feel like you're light years ahead of many people. What are your goals, you know, short-term, long-term 2020 to achieve in real estate? My short-term goal. So my goal for this year was I think this is something that real estate agents can connect with because it's sales. Is I'm you know I I'm a contractor, but top of the line is I'm I'm a marketer. Like that's 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 my that's my one true love besides real estate. Like it's real estate and marketing. I love both of them, and I have a hard time choosing which one I love more. But like marketing for me, I think this year I on my short term goal is I'd like to see five hundred thousand in sales. And then next year for the construction side, I want to see 2 million in sales for 2021. And then I really want to see, you know, my goal is at least 20 flips for next year. I want like to have about two to three under my belt, really get, you know, like I've done a lot for other people. So I know the structure, I know how to, I, I know everything there really is to know to get into it and how to like figure out if you're going to make money and everything. Thankful, no, thankfully to, you know, my, my mentors through the years. That's really been a huge help. And so I can see how it all works and everything, but I'd really like to spend, you know, 2020, you know, get my feet underneath me when it comes to my own flips, you know, definitely do three or four kind of learn that side of the field. Like in, you know, personally, like doing it my own instead of just seeing other people do it. And then next year, take it to the next level and do at least 20 to 30 of them. Just really, really bust them out there and make them happen. And I feel like if I do, you know, a few this year and have them be super successful and profitable, then I'll be able to use that and take it to more investors besides just the few that I'm working with right now and show them that, yes, you know, might be young, but this is a proven track record that, yes, we can make money, we can make this work. And it's, you know, it's, it, it, we've made it happen a few times, so it's definitely going to continue along this path. 
So that's my goal there. Uh, it's been my goal since I was 18 to be a millionaire before I was 25. And then uh, my dream car is a Lamborghini Huracan Spider. I don't tell very many people this, but that's been my dream car. So my dream is to have that before I'm 30, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. That's a, I'm imagining I'll get to 30. And even if I have the funds for it, I'll invest it in a house or something. I'll be like, okay, Tim, don't be ridiculous. Don't be stupid. Put, you know, put it somewhere. <laughs> Use this wisely. <laughs> I can't wait but to yeah, see that's... you share that Insta story, you know, when you're like turning 30 and also right. you're showing off your car. <laughs> right. No, that's, that's my goal. And like, I, those are my business goals. I mean, I have personal goals on a different level too, but on a business level, those are, those are some of my big goals because I feel like, you know, if I, if I reach that milestone, you know, where I can afford a vehicle like that when I'm 30, then I'll have everything else lined out as well. Hmm. That's a great way to put it. It's amazing that you're, you know, don't any listeners out there who want to start, but think they're too old, too young, like don't let age stop you. Like look at these amazing goals that Tim has set for himself for this year. He's getting into his first flip that he's doing on his own. And next year he wants to do 20 or 30 flips. You know, it's completely possible, but don't let your mind stop you. Dream big. I love that. I love that. I feel like that's, that's people's biggest problem is getting out of their own head. Hmm. What would you say is your biggest source of motivation to, you know, get you through all of these giant goals that you have set out for yourself? Oh, shoot. My biggest source of motivation. Oh, that is a really hard question. Uh, <laughs> almost like I have to think about this one for a minute because it's, I mean, one of my biggest sources of motivation, I would have to say to be my parents. Like growing up, my dad worked so hard. Like I would, he always made sure I got up early too. Like 6am, I'd always be up, you know, out with him you know, drinking coffee or whatever, but he would be at the computer working by 5 a.m. You know, if, and, and he would still be working, you know, when I went to sleep, you know, 10, 11 o'clock. Like yeah. seeing that grind and seeing him work so hard for his family was really very inspirational. And seeing him like still being able to do that, but now he's in his, you know, he's in his later 40s and he's retired. I mean, he's still working. He's still working, still managing a business, but he's building his dream house over in, you know, gorgeous standpoint, Idaho right now, 5,300 square foot house. And he's able to build it himself That's amazing. and take that time away from his business because he's worked so hard in his younger years. And I feel like that's one of my biggest motivations is just being able to have that freedom to do what you want with your life. Like go where you want, do what you want, you know, buy that dream house, buy that dream car, you know, buy that boat, you know, being able to give time to your family and being able to provide that's, that's always been a really big source of inspiration and motivation for me. Yeah. It's so important. You know, it's really about when it comes down to it, freedom, right? Freedom to choose what you do, what you buy. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's not, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, it's, I was just going to say, it's not like, it's not even about money, right? Like, Success isn't about the money. It's about what you can do with it. Like the freedom it gives you, I feel like, for sure. Yeah, definitely. At the, when it comes down to it, I think that's what it boils down to. Hey, Tim, if there's any listeners out there who want to 
you know, get into real estate, but they're not quite sure how. Do you have any advice for them? Actually, yes. Um, it depends on the field, for sure. But let's say you want to get into construction. I'd say especially right now with the market as it is, like cause the construction industry, at least from where I can see it, has never been stronger. Like I am always trying to find more help. And honestly, I, I have a hard time keeping good help right now. And so if, you know, if you're wanting to get into the field, construction, just you know, becoming a laborer and working and you know, learning that side of the field is huge. If you wanted to get into real estate, Shoot, it's not the f- most fun part of things, but you could become an inside sales agent or, excuse me, or just go out and get your license. I mean, it's a the wonderful thing about the 21st century is that it's all online. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even go to a school to get my property management or my real estate license. You just do it all online. Like, I would work all day and then come home and study at night. And then, you know, you just slowly work yourself out until you have the full in Washington, it was 90 hours. And you know, you go and take the test and find yourself a realtor that you can, you know, you can shadow and, you know, watch over and learn from and just go from there because, you know, realtors, especially managing and designated brokers, they want to see you succeed because especially for a designated broker, if you succeed, they can see, they succeed. So that's huge. And they always have, you know, they always have mentors in the groups and the firms that you can, you can, you know, grab hold of and follow. You become a buyer's agent. You know, there's so many different things you can do. And there's even like, a, there's a, uh, an investor that I, I've been working with over the past couple of months where she's been investing in flips 100% of the people's money. So I feel yeah. like, uh, yeah, it, it's huge. And I feel like in real estate, the biggest thing is knowledge mm-hmm. and the wonderful thing again about the 21st century you don't have to go to a single hour of college to really acquire knowledge if you don't want to i have not been to an, a single day of college in my life and i don't feel like that has been something that's held me back at all because there's just so much knowledge out there you can learn from people you can learn from youtube i mean that's my grandpa like that was half of what he taught me was youtube university that's what he used to call it if he and I couldn't figure something out on the job, we'd go take, you know, go back to his house and we'd sit there and we'd watch YouTube videos until he figured it out. <laughs> and so like this with, with how the world is now, there's always a way to learn, whether it be college or, you know, online or just, you know, finding a job and working it and learning and pulling your way through the hoops until you find your way to the top. So it's, I'm not sure if that's what you're looking for, but that's kind of what I had to, to offer on that. Yeah, I mean, that's some really great, solid advice for anybody who is thinking about getting into, you know, being a real estate agent or just getting into real estate. YouTube University, right? Like everything is online now. And if you want to get into construction and people, there's so many people who are kind of worried about the market. Did you guys hear what Tim said? He's never been busier than now. So I'm assuming you're pretty bullish on the market if you're planning to do even for yourself like 20 or 30 flips in the next year, given that we have this coronavirus pandemic happening. There's a lot of people that are saying, you know, the market's going to crash, market's going to crash. And they're all pointing. I'm not going to say there's a lot of people. There's a couple of people I know personally are saying the market's going to crash in September, October. And especially November, depending on which way the election swings. 
but with how the market is and especially especially with where i am located i'd say it probably depends on your market but everyone is i think the biggest outcome the biggest result from covid has been people realizing that they don't want to live in these massive overcrowded cities anymore they want their own space they want some room to breathe especially you know six feet apart right <laughs> need their own they need their own air <laughs> and so they're moving to these less populated areas like Spokane, Coeur d'Alene. You know, I've, a Coeur d'Alene is a resort town to begin with, but I've never seen so many out-of-state plates in my life there in my town. They're everywhere. And predominantly, actually, from California. I don't is, doubt it. You're right. Yeah. Everyone's just like, oh, this is terrible. I've got to get out of here. And so <laughs> I'm ready to leave myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they move up here, and what's the first thing they do? They want to buy a house. And so for us, the market has never been better. I, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Like again, I think it depends on where you are in the U.S. But I say overall, I don't think it's going to change. I mean, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, being here in the San Francisco Bay Area in California, um, I was already kind of looking into relocating to a different state, but I think right. coronavirus kind of accelerated that timeline for me so right. even just like listening to you talk about um your dad building his dream house you know out in idaho i'm like that sounds amazing so much space it's like beautiful right. like what am i, what am I doing here? <laughs> one drawback you'll get 10 feet of snow there <laughs> true <laughs> yes and i've been to san francisco in february when there's you know six feet of snow on the ground up north where my dad lives and it's beautiful out there. So you, you have some blessings living there as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, I think it's super interesting, you know, speaking for with you because you're a contractor, right? And most people who are listening um, are real estate agents or investors. So they're engaging with contractors on the other side, right? right. And like even here myself in the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm working on a renovation project, right? Um, from the contractor perspective, like how, what's that like working with investors? How would you like us to engage you? What are some of the pain points? Ah, oh, that's another good question. So many good questions this time. Um, I'd say I really enjoy working with real estate agents and investors. Honestly, I, because it's kind of a, I know it's kind of hard because I love the emotional attachment people have to their homes and when you're working on it, that appreciation and satisfaction of a homeowner seeing, you know, they're basically their dream coming to fruition, their home seeing exactly how they've always dreamed it to be. And that's, that's a really good feeling when I finish, but at the same time, there's such an emotional attachment to their home. It's so much harder sometimes to do the job because, you know, it's, it's gotta be a certain way. It's gotta be exactly like this. And you know, it's, there's a lot of runaround sometimes. Whereas with investors, it's a lot simpler. There's not the, there's no emotional attachment. It's just what makes, what's most profitable for us? You know, how can we make this happen? What's the quickest we can do this? Cheapest way we can do this. We want to see this happen now. And there's not, it's just a lot less drama. I hate using that word, but it, it honestly worked pretty well because for the situation, because there's, it's true. There's, a lot less drama when it comes to investors and real estate agents because they're looking at it strictly as a profit and loss situation. Like how can we profit on this? What can we do to cut our losses? And it's a strict business, business deal. Like there is no emotional attachment. But again, the pain of that 
is that it's a strict business situation. Like there is no emotional attachment. So when things cost more money than it should, in their eyes, they're seeing as that, oh, dang, I'm losing money on this. Whereas a homeowner would be getting something better, like, you know, a more expensive countertop or a better kitchen or something. Whereas the investor just sees it as, you know, they're losing a little bit more of their profit. And so the drawback I'd say of working with investors is sometimes like we're, I, I will not do anything less than grade A work, like the finest work. I won't do anything less than that. And so I do lose some work to other uh, con- contractors who will do less work than, you know, less than perfect quality work because investors are, again, looking at the bottom line. And if they can shave money off that bottom line, then they're, that's the success in their book. So I say that's the, the, you know, the goods and the bads of working with investors and real estate agents there. It's so interesting hearing that from, you know, your perspective as a GC. I wonder if there's more like that that you can share, maybe like tips and tricks of how you would like to be engaged or what you have found to work well, you know, working with agents and investors so that when the listeners are trying to engage with a GC, like they can go into the situation knowing everything. Mm -hmm. I'd say one way is to request instead of depending if you're going to say it's a full size, you know, a huge scale remodel of a flip or something that you're having a GC do instead of having him, if you're going to get it from a couple different ones, instead of getting it a full detailed bid, maybe get one that we call it a planning of purposes bid where the GC kind of just walks through and you might spend a night or two, you know, working up some numbers and figuring out and then send that over to you. And then, and then as an investor, you can look at that and pick out which one you'd like to work with and you go from there because I've had it happen several times where I'll spend, I'll spend a good a hundred hours on a bid because I have everything you know, nailed down perfectly detailed because I don't want to have it to where during the project, either, you know, the investor or us is confused or, you know, there's some miscommunication or anything. So I always make sure the bid is exactly perfect. Like everything is ironed out and all the details are there for the world to see. And so that takes a while. So something that I like to do now is before I go and put myself out there and have all my subcontractors come out and look at the job and give me bids and I go through and work everything up. I like to see a plan. I'd like to do a planning of purposes bid where I just go in there and I might spend, you know, four or five hours to work up a bid where it might not be, might not be perfect, but it will be pretty close. And then, uh, and then at that point they can look at it and kind of go off of there to see who they want to work with. If they want to work with us, if they want to work with someone else, that way, you know, their time's not being wasted. Our time's not being wasted. And uh, yeah, I feel like that's something that both a contractor and an agent investor could benefit from. Yeah. Thanks for that tip. Because I think also the thing is like, a lot of things change on the job, right? That you right. really can't anticipate. Like when you open the walls, it's a whole different <laughs> story sometimes. So. Yes. It's scary opening up walls because you have no idea what's behind there. <laughs> exactly. So this way might be able to save, you know, both parties time, right. money, mm-hmm. resources. Like, and I will work up a, an actual very, you know, hard number solid quote for the customer you know, after they've looked at my planning of purposes quote and decide, you know what, this is good. We want to want to move forward with an actual, you know, solid quote. I will go ahead and do that. 
it's just right off the bat with those big projects. I don't think it's worth worth it to the customer or to me to have all of that time invested on both of our parts. Right. Um, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think so. And opening up walls, I mean, that's kind of <laughs> one of those things you just have to be prepared for the possibility of something happening. Like you could open it up and have the wiring just be all be aluminum or, you know, knob and tube or something mm-hmm. could go terribly wrong and just have to like both be prepared for something to go wrong with the project just in case, you know, just in case something goes wrong and have that buffer in your, in your budget just, you know, for that reason alone. Yeah. So important. Cause you don't want to be surprised, you know, midway through. Right. Yes. Yeah. Surprise. Like a surprise. You need a new furnace. You have no idea. <laughs> or all of your insulation is bad. You got to replace it all. It's like, oh. So yeah, just be prepared for have some buffer there in your profits. So that you know, even if you lose another ten, fifteen thousand for some unknown random thing that happens here, at least you're still in the clear. You're gonna be okay. <laughs> right. Has there been any project that you've worked on where you found like the biggest surprise? Sank. <sighs> There's been a couple that have been pretty troublesome. Like we had, we had one. Okay. Yes. There was one. We we uh, I actually took this one to auction, and it was this is this is on me. This is my fault here. We went and bought this house. I was at the auction bidding on like five different homes, trying to at least come home with one of them, right? And there was this home that I had never seen before, and I was like, "What, what is this one? I never I don't know what the house is." So I sent it over to uh, Melissa Murphy, who was the designated broker that I was uh, working with at the time, and she sent it back. She's like, "Looks good. Numbers look great." let's buy it so i went and bought it and then i was like this is really weird i only had like one other person bidding against me and said what's going what's going on here and so we drove by the house and it was occupied Mm, not only was it occupied occupied, well not only was it owner occupied the guy had never been evicted and so not only was it owner occupied but he'd been living there without water and electric for six months so and he had a me- unhabitable and he had a mechanic shop in his garage with like multiple cars and like motorcycles and everything in there. And it was the worst thing ever. It was the biggest nightmare to get him out of that house. Like it's, we, we fortunately, we still made money on that house. Like we we did good. actually start, we did fairly well on that one. All That's things good. considered, all things considered, but that was, that was a nightmare. Just moving him out of the house and finding him like, Oh my gosh. Talk about, you know, relations and trying to work, trying to work something out and trying to be like diplomatic. And <laughs> it was fun. It was an adventure <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Did you negotiate that one? Yes. I had to negotiate with the, with the former wow. homeowner to get him out of the house and like get him into a new place and find storage for all of his things. It was just so much stuff and so much like you'd have engines just lying all over the place. And it's like, how do we get this out of here? Like, you know, he's, he's like this old guy and is like in his fifties, like who's just brutally hurt his body. So he can't move anything. So we actually had to physically help him move to make it happen. And yeah. it's just sometimes, sometimes there's that hard parts in real estate where you just kind of have to, you know, buckle up a little tighter and go for it. <laughs> right. It's not all just like rainbows and butterflies. Oh, right. Guys. Yes. <laughs> Like you say you exactly. want to be a real estate investor, but sometimes <laughs> you got to roll up your sleeves and help people move right? their engines out. Right. Yeah. That's, it's not always the most fun work. Sometimes it's, you know, it's dirty work too. And you got to just embrace it and go for it. 
Welton, do you have any favorite book or podcast or other medium that you draw inspiration from you want to share with the listeners? Sure. So my, my favorite podcast is definitely the Cardone zone. Grant Cardone is a huge motivator for me. And uh, he's been, like, I've been following him for years. And he's definitely been like, almost like, I just, I don't know if I want to call it a role model, but at the same time, yes, like a role model, like seeing how he lives his life and how he just grinds and the decisions he makes and what he does in the field of real estate to me is inspirational and amazing. So Cardone Zone is huge for me as podcast. And my favorite book, I'd say... It's a toss-up, either How to Win Friends and Influence People or Seller Be Sold by Grant Cardone. Seller Be Sold was a book that really changed me because it proved to me that no matter what field you're in, you are in sales. Mm. No, matter what, no matter what you do, like if you're just a kid in high school, you're still in sales because you're, always, you're either always selling something to someone else or you're being sold to at any given moment in your life. So that was a very, that's a very powerful book for me. But uh, Cardone Zone, and then also I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk and Ed Milet. Those are two very big uh, inspirations for me as well. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your tips. Is there anything we didn't talk about yet today that you want to touch upon? I don't know. I didn't think so. I came, I came into this podcast with a complete open mind and just, you know, prepare just you know have a great conversation with you and see kind of see kind of see where it took us without having like an actual end goal or any real any real you know uh road in mind i was just thinking you know let's just hop in see where she wants us to go and just kind of go with it yeah i think you dropped some great nuggets for our listeners whether it be about getting into construction or real estate and especially just social media in general. I think those were so powerful, the tips you shared. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Of course. Anytime. Thanks, Tim. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you.